Well, good morning and welcome to Circle. It's great to see you here. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. I oversee community life, which is kind of a broad thing here at Circle. But uh, when you have questions and you have emails or phone calls, they usually come to me, which is great. Then I pass them on to Pastor Eldon and he takes care of it. So welcome here on this frosty, cold Super Bowl Sunday. I was thinking about that today and I was talking to Austin. He's one of our new staff here. And he said to me, don't worry, if your message is good, I will pour Gatorade on you. So I don't know what to expect or what to hope for here, actually. But we just finished a series called Heart Shift with Pastor Wayne, where we looked at what do we do if we want to change the trajectory of our life? What do we do if we want to move in a new direction? And so often we think it's a 180 turn. It's a, it's a huge swivel that we have to do. But Pastor Wayne reminded us that it's actually just two degrees of change that we have to begin in our lives to actually change the entire trajectory of who we are and how we live. So it's a great series. So if you are new with us, if you're visiting, I'd encourage you to check it out. You can go to cdac.ca messages and you can subscribe to our talks with your favorite uh, podcast app. You can connect with us and even things that you miss, you can connect and catch up that way. So that's a great way of following us. You can take out your notes. They're found in your programs. You can pull them out for today. Uh, we, can, we also use this electronic app called the YouVersion. It's a Bible app. It's a free app. And it's a great way to follow our notes, but it's also a great way to read the Bible. There's lots of great plans there. You can connect with us through that. Save the messages. Save the, the discussions. And that way you can continue the conversation in your circle groups. And as Jelaine mentioned on the screen earlier, if you're not in the circle group, we are starting group link tomorrow. So please do sign up for that. It'd be a great way to get you connected, to get you involved and be part of the community. So please make sure you go to the information desk or you can check it out online and connect with us that way. All right, that's a lot of information right off the bat. Today I'm starting a new series called Plugged In um, that I'm hoping will help us understand the source of life. How do we plug into this source? Who is the source? What is it all about? How do we make sense of our life and what gives us life? And so I believe it's important for us to wrestle with some of the things. It's going to be quite a few weeks, so each time we're going to address a different part of the topic. So please come back or engage with us online. But I think the questions of meaning of life is something that we all wrestle with. I don't think you have to be super spiritual or religious or even go to church to ask yourself, what is the point of it all? I think meaning and understanding who we are and where we're going is just part of our DNA. It's how we are designed. There was a national poll in North America that asked the question, in your life, do you experience a need for spiritual growth? The resounding answer was eight out of 10 people said yes. Now, this is a very vague question. I'm not sure if everybody understood what spiritual growth even means. But the common thread was the experience that drew out of people when they were asked, if you're looking for spiritual growth, the automatic, 8 out of 10 people responded with, yeah, I need that in my life. This is something I'm looking for. There's this search for meaning. It, is, it would seem as if it's part of our DNA. There's this desire to be connected, to be plugged into something greater than we are, to something more than we physically see. Something in us tells us that there's more to us than what meets the eye. There's this intense desire that we can't always put our finger on. And so we seek, for communi we seek community, we look for hope, we desire peace, and we pursue love. And when we see videos like 
the raw hope video we saw earlier, breaks our heart. There are parts of the world where people don't have peace or life or food. Something in us tells us that's not right. It's as if the very beat of our heart is designed for meaning. And we live in this way of the heart and we call out for something more, for something greater than us. Though the question in the survey was vague, the Christian story, the story of Jesus, tells us that this heart calling is the spiritual formation. It forms us who we are. It forms us beyond our physical selves. There's something in us that's being shaped and formed based on the person we follow or speak to. And reality is whether you're a Christian here or not, whether you're a firm believer or whether you're not sure what to believe, we all have a heart that's calling out for meaning and asking questions. Why me? Why now? Why here? And because of that, we look for things. And we as people are good innovators, aren't we? I mean, we can create a lot of products, a lot of things to meet our needs, right? So if there's something calling in us, if there's a, a need deep inside of us, if there's something that we are searching for, surely we can create something to fill that void, right? And so there's this whole industry, and there's, I mean, like never before, there's industries that consist of oils and exercise gyms and yoga clubs and self-help books and inspirational online videos, Lululemon pants, whatever it is for you. And by the way, all of these things on themselves are not bad. I'm not trying to bash them. But we are good at creating products to fill needs. We're good at trying to invent something and consume it to fill that need. And so often our call of our heart is filled with consumerism. Buy this and you'll be satisfied. Purchase this and you will feel better. And we're surrounded with so much consumerism, consumerism that is geared at finding that inner peace. We tend to get lost in the trends and cliches and we collect random pieces and experiences that come at us with no particular meaning or coherence or maybe just want our money. And it's like there's this need. And so we try and we buy and we purchase, you know. And once we have it, the need isn't fully satisfied. We keep searching. And so it seems to me that the only connecting thread in all of this is this desire for inner peace. Ancient cultures, generations ago, and in some other places, would tell stories to keep these bits and pieces together, give them meaning, both personally, individually, and as a group, giving them order and coherence, like a glue that connected them to each other. And you could see that often when you travel, right? You see a certain dress code, you would see certain customs, you would see certain songs. It was things to bind people together and give them meaning of who they are as people in a place. Today, we're so good at, because we're so good at creating products and busying ourselves with stuff and the world has become small because of technology, we feel, we feel like as if we should have a lot of answers to things. But what all research finds is we're actually more disjointed more disconnected. We begin to believe maybe there's no meaning at all. Maybe it's just to live in the moment and enjoy the things you have. Maybe they're just all random. And so we find ourselves wrestling against our own design and against our own purpose. We wrestle against, is there even truth? How do we understand truth? We have so many competing stories that tell us that they're true. 
and yet our heart continues to call. So today, I want to, really what I want to do to begin this series is explore what is this call in us. This call that against the tide of meaninglessness and chaos and brokenness it says, that seems to say there is meaning, there is purpose, and things are not just random. Which brings me, of course, to the Christian idea, to the Christian story. This is my story. And if you're not in that story yet, that's okay. Thank you for being here. But I want to tell you that I'd love for you to engage with this story as we teach and as we talk about it. Because I think, I believe it will change you for the better. And in this story, this heart call, this, this, this way of pursuit of meaning is actually the idea of the spiritual formation, that you are being shaped by someone who loves you and who cares for you. And then this calling that you have, this inner dialogue that you have is actually prayer. Prayer is the, the fancy religious word that we use and we've all heard of it. And I think the reason we've all heard of it is because we all participate in it in some way or another. It's this inner dialogue that wrestles to make sense of the perceived randomness that we see, the confusion, and asks the question, why? Why does evil prevail in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Something in us doesn't sit right with the world the way it is, even though it is the only world we know. The Judeo-Christian, the, the Jewish and Christian traditions refer to the source of our heart of, that we call the heart is actually all of the physical, emotional, intellectual, volitional, the moral energies that make all of us. And so when we talk about the heart, when I'm saying heart, I'm not just speaking of the organ, I'm speaking of all of us, that, that all of it that makes us, us, calls out. It's the seed of the will. It makes plans and comes to decisions. And because it is a source of all, it would then seem that spiritual formation has a significant part in our lives, whether we acknowledge it or not. There was another study that, that asked North Americans uh, what they do more in their days, what, what their lives consist of. And I don't know if you know this, but more North Americans pray than they exercise. And it wouldn't seem that way. Well, maybe that's not a surprise for some of us. But, but it wouldn't seem that way with all the commercials and all the products that we see about, you know, Bowflex and whatever else. But studies seem to suggest that, this, that even people who reject religious movements still long to talk and have this inner dialogue with themselves or with someone. It is as if we intuitively know we need to be plugged into a source who will recharge us, who will give us life, who will give us meaning, who will help us keep going. We want to be connected to something beyond us, something bigger, something that will give richness, meaning, beauty, and hope to our lives. So a quick recap before I kind of dig into this heart call, which I'm going to call prayer. We have this inner longing that makes sense of life, that wants to make sense of life. We have a world that's connected but yet disconnected and confused with mixing stories and competing messages. And we long to make sense of life and say, this can't be it. So we wrestle with things. And we have these inner dialogues that I like to call prayer. And so this series is really going to dissect and look at, look at prayer and what is prayer really about. We're going to unpack it all through different weeks. We're going to look at uh, what do we do with prayer when we hear nothing back? What do we do with prayer when we hear something back? Who are we talking to? We're going to unpack all of this during the weeks. And if you're not sure what you think about it, maybe you're a long-time praying person and you're like, great, this is good. This is part of who I am. This is going to be a great series for you. But maybe you're a person 
thinks, well, I've never prayed, at least not officially how I think what prayer is. I think this will be a great series for you, and I invite you to join in and, and ask questions and, and join the conversation. So I have to admit, when we start with something so big like prayer, it's hard to know where to begin. So I knew I had to read some books, so I bought some books. I went on Amazon.ca and typed in some of my authors that I really like, and I typed some others, and then I thought, why don't I just type in prayer? So I typed in prayer on Amazon.ca, and there were, what came out was, they don't give you the exact number, it says over 200,000 results on prayer, which is a lot of results. So I read all that, no. I, so then I was thought, okay, well, what if I Google it? What would it look like? So I Googled prayer, just prayer. 755 million web pages came up about prayer, including 138 million videos on prayer, 122 million books on prayer, and 34, 600 million news articles on prayer. So I think it makes up my point that something in us, something logical in place that seeks to talk, to understand prayer, to understand this inner dialogue that we're having, it's as if we're completely wired to pray. And it seems to me, based on the evidence around us, and if we look around the world, people pray. The Buddhist people pray, the Hindu people pray, the Muslim people pray, the Jewish people pray, the Christian people pray, secular people pray, and even atheists pray. Prayer is in every culture, in every part of the world. Now, who we pray to, what we pray to, how we pray differs for sure. But what I'm saying, there's this internal desire to pray that's wired in us as human beings. And the Christian story reminds us that we're made in the image of God. So when we pray, when we have this inner dialogue, we are connected in the Christian story to a being, to a person were, whose image we're made of. That, that means he understands us. That means he knows who we are, and we know who he is because we're made in his image. We are encoded from beginning of creation to be able to talk to God and to des desire to speak with him. One of the authors in the Bible puts it this way. He describes our connection to God in this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he also set eternity in the human heart. I love that wording. God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart. The eternal connection, desire for life, for love, for peace, for hope, beyond what we see, has been set in our hearts from beginning. I mean, we grew up in the world where there's death. We know we have a limited space and time here in this world. And yet we always seem to say, well, that can't be it. It's because eternity has been set in our hearts. Eternity has been placed. And it begins with a God in whose image we're made who longs to have that conversation with us, who longs to pray with us, who longs to connect because we are designed to connect in that way. But if we're designed to connect that way, why is it so hard to pray sometimes? Well, it seems to me that is that through our frustrations with prayer are often caused by our misconceptions of prayer. I don't know if you can see that there, but it's a far side comic, which is one of my favorite comics, and it says, Oh, please let mom, dad, Rex, Ginger, Tucker, and me, and all the rest of the family see color. All right, I thought it was funnier than that, but... <laughs> 
Fair enough. But I think our misconceptions and our frustrations come from misunderstanding what prayer is about. It comes from misunderstanding what we're made for. And unfortunately, sometimes even Christians have fed into that misinformation and misconception. Sometimes we use things too lightly and say, oh, just pray about it, without joining the person in their journey. And so first, I think it's important before we get to the part where we talk about what prayer is, for us to break down some of these myths, some of these misconceptions about prayer. I think it's important for us to address the myths right off the bat so we can get that out of the way and then get into what the Christian story actually tells us about prayer. So first myth, first misunderstanding is prayer is a magic formula, a potion, a wand. This is a myth. And maybe we wouldn't even say it this way, but often we perceive prayer like this Harry Potter wand. If I just, if I just wave it around, if I just say the spell, if I just say the right words, things will happen the way I want them. And God doesn't work this way. He's not a genie that we rub the lamp and he pops out and says, here I am, tell me what to do. And sometimes we use prayer as this myth. We say, if I just say the right things and I say them long enough and I say them correctly enough, God will do what I want him to do. But you see, we don't consider that God has made this universe so wondrous and so amazing that we have, all of us have free will, free choices, free ideas. And to force God to act this way as if he's some kind of magic wand or a genie would put him in the box, would limit him, would actually place him in a, in a position where he does what we want. But God created us far too wondrous, far too beautiful, far too great as his image bearers to be controllers of him or to control us. See, what makes this myth a myth is that God doesn't make robots. He doesn't make people that he's going to control and use. Because of our free will, because of our opportunities to make choices, good or bad, we can't use this myth as an excuse. The second myth is that prayer is some kind of arm wrestling match. That, and somehow this, this gets connected to Christianity because it had a lot of Greek influence too. And so sometimes we think of God as somehow he's removed in the mountain somewhere like Zeus and we have to kind of convince him and badger him and pester him and please, please, and if you just do this right, and, you, and if you just bargain with him long enough, maybe he'll come down and then you wrestle him into your, like, and he's kind of disinterested in, in you and he doesn't care, but okay, fine, you keep bugging me, so I guess I'll do this. And we see this as some kind of arm wrestling match and we see, think if we just bug him enough, he'll do it. But again, this is not the kind of person God is. God is not disinterested. God is very interested. The next myth we have is prayer is some kind of ritual to relieve guilt. Now, some of you grew up with this. Some of you maybe were taught that if you sin, if you do, which is sin is simply doing something you know isn't right, doing something you know is wrong. And if you do that, then you just say the prayer a certain amount of times and everything will be okay. That's a myth. It puts prayer as a punishment. It puts prayer in a place of penance and punishment between you and God. God isn't interested, interested in punishing you when you're connecting to him. He's interested in you. 
It is a joy and a privilege to enter into a relationship with God who loves you and who understands you, who's not far removed, who's not disinterested. So if this is kind of the, and there's more myths in this, by the way. I kind of listed the top three that I thought people wrestle with. You may have more, which is fine. Um, but these are kind of the top three that I want. I, do want, I want us to address that prayer is not some kind of magic wand. That prayer is not some kind of wrestling match. You have to convince God to love you or to forgive you. And prayer is not some kind of punishment to relieve guilt. And I know there's more, but we'll start there. So what does... What is the story of God? What is the Bible? What is, the, what is God who, who journeys with us? What does he teach us about prayer? Well, I think we need to start with the idea that God loves for me to talk to him. We need to start with the idea that first and foremost, prayer is set in that that God wants to actually hear from you, that he's interested in you. And not just in your spiritual or super religious things. He's actually interested in your everyday stuff. You're designed to have that conversation with him. This is why you have these inner dialogues all the time. You're designed to not to be alone, to be seen, to be heard, and to be known. So God wants to talk to us. He wants to connect. He wants us to connect with him. And it doesn't have to be something spiritual. It doesn't have to be something religious. It just has to be something you're interested in. And it's simply because he loves you. We wouldn't exist if God didn't want us, didn't love us. There's a lot of things that we become interested in. And prayer in this relationship of love that we have with God, that he wants to have this communication with us, starts with the idea of relationship. And I think that's why so many times in the Bible, those of you that read the Bible, the story is called like it's God and people are used as an image of marriage and relationship. There's a lot of things that I was interested in before I was married. And there's a lot more things I'm interested in now after I was married. And it's a good thing because my wife had different interests. And because I love her, I wanted to know what things she likes. I wanted to enjoy them with her. I wanted to join her in her interests and her, her pursuits. And so I went and, and I participated in things that I didn't think I would ever like. But because I love her, I began to like those things. And it's the same way with God. He's interested in you and loves you. And when we reciprocate that, we begin to see people and see our circumstances a lot different because we get, begin to see people through the eyes of God. And certain situations that we thought we could never accomplish or be part of or do, all of a sudden become clearer and easier because we see people through the eyes of God. It changes us, like marriage changes us. It gives us purpose. It gives us joy and security. All of this comes from God. And all those things you consider hobbies, sports, music, drama, dance, hunting, whatever you do for fun, these are also good things from God. He's made us diverse to like lots of things, so lots of things on this earth can be accomplished and so that we can enjoy them. Now, we can twist them. We can use them for bad things. But all those desires come from God and God wants to have that conversation and wants you to enjoy it and wants you to be part of this loving relationship. Another image that the Bible uses for, for our prayer time and our communication and our relationship with God is marriage, but another one is parenting. It talks of a great father who loves us and wants to know every part of us. 
My kids know this, but every supper, every supper, I basically ask the same question when we start eating. How was your day? What did you do? How was school? What did you learn? Who did you hang out with? And the first answers are always nothing. It was boring. Now, if you're a teacher, I know it's not nothing, and I know it's not boring. My wife's a teacher as well. But that's their initial answer. But I'm interested. And eventually, as, we, as they warm up, as we eat, as we talk, eventually certain things perk up. And there's excitement in the day, and we laugh about it, or we talk about it, or we explore it, or we unpack it. It comes with a genuine interest because I care for my kids. I want to know what's going on in their lives. How much more God who creates us and wants us to have that relationship and creates us for that relationship. And he loves you whether you communicate with him on purpose or not. He's with you. But he wants to have that conversation back and forth. So what is prayer? Prayer is a thoughtful conversation. It means you talk, but it also means you listen. In prayer, you're certainly not only speaking, not only sharing your stuff, but you're also taking the time to listen. And we live in a time where conversations are becoming kind of a, a thing of the past, at least thoughtful conversations. You know that when you're talking to somebody and you can see they're not taking anything in that you're saying and they're just waiting to respond to you with their thing? We kind of live in that culture of the one-dimensional conversation. We're just waiting for the other person to end so we can share our stuff. And yet God invites us into a thoughtful conversation where he wants to hear us, but then he also wants to be heard, which takes discipline of learning to sit and listen. I'm often reminded that the best teachers are the best listeners and are the best learners. They're able to position themselves to be critical about their thoughts in such a way to hear the other person's perspective, their vantage point, their story. This is who God is. And when we take the time to learn those disciplines, we have the time to have a conversation, we have the time to listen, we, began to, we begin to see people and our circumstances in a new vantage point. Prayer is that thoughtful conversation that develops this. And prayer is this relationship that I've been talking about. And it's amazing to me that the creator of all the universe in the Christian story that creates all things and says they're good doesn't pull away, doesn't remove himself, but actually enters into our lives and says, I want to have a relationship with you and I'm interested in you and I love you and I know you choose poorly sometimes, so I'm going to come in and do everything possible to remove that guilt, to remove that brokenness, that we can have a relationship. Prayer is a thoughtful conversation and prayer is a relationship. Number two, thing, number two thing we learn in the Bible about God. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. Sometimes I think because we have an idea of prayer, we think it has to be this religious ceremony. Sometimes it has to be maybe in some old English, Shakespearean homily. So I don't know what you imagine prayer to be. But what I want you to know is that God just wants to know your heart. He just wants to hear your sincere conversation and it can be as simple as you want. You don't need to sound spiritual. You don't need to sound religious. You just need to share your heart and be honest. One of the examples of this is uh, books of Psalms. Now, Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. It's about 100, well, it's not about, it's 150 Psalms written a lot by David, but there's a lots of other authors and Psalms are songs and prayers and uh, declarations, the great thing to read, and they cover a whole bunch of different emotions, but about one-third of those 150, about 50 psalms, 
are all complaints. They're all just complaints. And they're there because God wants to hear our sincere hearts. He wants to have that sincere conversation with us. They're complaining. They're asking, God, where are you? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why is this happening? God can handle it. He wants the sincerity of our heart. That's what prayer is. He wants you to be honest with what you're wrestling about. He's not looking for magic spells or magic words. He's looking for your heart. And many of the prayers I read in the Bible are really rough-edged, unrefined, Sometimes they make you wince. And God can say, I can handle it because I love you. I want your heart and I want your honesty. The number three thing that we learn from the story of God about what prayer is is that God is gracious in his response to our prayers. As I said, he's a good parent. He's a good father. He's gracious. He's compassionate. We sing about that. We talk about that. And this is the reality that we need to understand. And some of us may not have had compassionate or great parents. But God is a good parent. He wants us to ask. In the second part of the Bible, so we have the Old Testament, which is the story of God's people and God's pulling them into direction, promising them a whole bunch of things. And then in Jesus, the second part of the New Testament, the New Covenant, it's fulfilled in Jesus. And he keeps reminding and reminding people. I think it's over 20 times. He keeps saying, ask, and it'll be given to you. Knock, and the door will be open. God wants to respond graciously to your prayers. Now, it's not always the way we'd want them to be responded to, if I'm honest. It's not always, yes, receive all this. And those of us that are parents know we don't say yes to everything to our kids. Otherwise, they're not going to be great. And there's other reasons for that. And sometimes it's hard to have those reasons and understanding. And one of, the, one of our messages will unpack what does it mean when God says no. But God has a greater view from our perspective. And sometimes it's really hard because we do ask for good things but they don't happen. But God graciously responds to us and sometimes it's in a different way than we would think. What prayer does is it beautifully widens our horizons of view. It doesn't bend God's will, but it widens our horizon of view. It joins us in the understanding that God may have a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. And finally, the Christian story teaches us, number four, that God longs to be close to us. He desires it, desires it. He wants it deeply. He wants to come close to us. In the Gospel of John, John was a guy who followed Jesus around, and he recorded this in, verse 15, uh, in chapter 15, verse 15, and he says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I have made known to you. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. The creator of all the universe and everything desires to be close to us. And the cross that we have in churches is a representation of how far he's willing to go to be close to us, to live a life, to understand our pain, to die and suffer, be mocked, but then to defeat all that through resurrection and to say, I love you and I'm here for you. So what? You heard a whole bunch of stuff, what prayer is not, what prayer is, where am I going with this? I want to, this is the key part that I want us to take home, is that all our calling out, all our internal conversations, all of that is designed in us for a reason. And it's designed because God wants to partner with us. Prayers become less about asking God and more about partnering with Him in our purpose, in our purpose. 
The God who has made us, loves us, and desires a relationship with us and calls us into a friendship based on a partnership. And this is huge. Don't miss this. This is the last thing I want you to take home is that you were formed for a friendship. You were formed for a partnership with God. And if you miss that, you may miss the purpose of your existence. You were put on this planet to have a mutual relationship with God that lasts for eternity, to join him in his work, and in that work find our fulfillment, our meaning, our purpose, and our eternity that has been set in our hearts. God has placed that in you from the beginning of time. And when we disconnect, when we unplug from him, we run circles and we run dry, and we don't know where to go. When we begin to plug in, we begin to realize our purpose and the eternity that's been set in our hearts begins to make sense because we partner with God. Would you stand with me? If you're new here, we have books at every entrance that you can pick up. It's a gift for you. The Common Ground is open. Please don't forget to celebrate with, uh, with our families whose children have been dedicated today. Let me just close in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your desire to be with us. We thank you that you care for every detail of our lives. Be with us as we go from here. Speak to us and give us ears to hear. We praise in your name. Amen. Go in peace.